0: Converting leads, closing deals, and performing amongst the top salespeople in your industry require more than just talent and experience. Hear from the best as we discuss the proven formulas they use to generate new leads and close deals on the science of business development. How you guys doing? I'm Tony Arce, and this is the Science of Business Development podcast. Today, I'm joined by the CEO of Lions Consulting Group, Rich Lyons. Rich, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Likewise, I'd like to have you. Uh, glad to have
1: you back in Chicago. Absolutely, it's good to be back. The weather's starting to get nice, you know. For sure. Because when we did talk, you were uh, in Mexico, right? It's escaping the Chicago winter. You can't blame me. It's
0: tough. <laughs> Six enough. months of winter. Six months of winter. So now it's now we're back. Yeah, I remember because uh, it was so cold here when I spoke to you and. Looking at the greenery behind you is uh, it was something else. So no, you know I'm excited to talk about your journey and how you were able to do those things that that afforded you the opportunity with uh, your consulting group and um, tell me a little bit about just your background. Sure, I uh, I went to University of Michigan
1: undergrad. I was uh, got a bachelor of science in electrical engineering. So oh. <laughs> yeah, so I started off that moved to Chicago, worked for a consulting firm, and that was kind of my first foray into selling. I guess I wasn't. You know, a quota-carrying salesperson, but I sold consulting services and helped with that. Uh, decided to go back to Northwestern, to Kellogg, uh, to get my MBA. So did that uh, for a couple of years full-time, and then it's worked good for well. it. it was good, yeah. But at that time, Dean Jacobs was, uh, you know, head at the number one business school in the world at that time.
0: Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, it was it 1990. Wow, yeah.
1: good for you. So it was pretty legit. I mean, it was like that's when group work first started, you know, when people are like working groups. and yeah, yeah, yeah. It was good. Yeah, it was good, good experience. I came out, worked for a small manufacturing company. I wanted to get some experience, but I was a director of sales and marketing, but still had not done sales directly. Interesting. You know, so I was yeah, managing yeah. inside salespeople, managing outside salespeople. I had an independent rep network. And I got great experience, but then I decided time to really, I had a mentor that, you know, Dr. Bob Wright said, uh, hey, why don't you get some selling experience. So I kind of, I went to work for a technology company, I don't know if you remember Whitman Hart uh, back in the day, Yeah. so I started there in 95 and I took a job as a sales guy, quota carrying sales guy, carrying a bag. Wow. So that was my first real like, sales is hard. You know, you, uh, you have a quota and you have accounts and go sell.
0: It almost seems like on one end you were uh, you know, exposed to it, you're leading it, you're behind there, but the day to day grind, the understanding the culture of it, it, wasn't part of your experience yet.
1: No, it wasn't. And really to understand, you know, when I think back, understand metrics, understanding, you know, sales is a lot about the numbers, right? You know, you need to do the dials, you need to have the meetings, you know, you need to build your pipeline, you need to do proposals, and you need to really track that pipeline. So I came, given my engineering background, I became kind of very, you know, systematic in terms of how I thought about sales. I, I still have spreadsheets from, you know, back in 19... You know, I started, I guess that was in 1995, and went public in 96. You know, I have spreadsheets tracking all my dials, all my meetings, wow. all my proposals. So I could tell you at the end of the year, a dial was worth this much money to me. Wow. A meeting was worth this much money. Wow. So then when you do that, your goals the next year, you just divide it, and you're like, I have to do this many dials. I have to have this many meetings. Break it down by week, and you're good to go.
0: And I'm sure that those dials become more efficient at some point. You know, as you as you get experience, that the numbers eventually start shifting in your favor a little more too.
1: Totally, totally. But that's the magical thinking of sales that I kind of catch people in. Like, oh, I'm going to be more efficient, and, mm. and I kind of say, prove it. <laughs> and before you prove it, just like if you go, if you're going to double your sales, you got to double your dials. And you have to double your meetings until you can prove that you're more efficient because right. everyone has this magical thinking, Oh, I'm going to be better. I'm going to close more deals. Well, work the numbers, you know, if you really want to be successful, work the numbers.
0: It's interesting. The scientific approach you took to it because from almost like from the very beginning, it seems like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's what kind of, I learned kind of the hard way, right? Cause I went to work for Whitman Hart. It was a young, you know, great firm. Um, but we didn't really have a sales manager initially. So it was kind of like, here's your account. Let's go. You know, so I got some good coaching. I got into a sales lab at the Wright Foundation. I had a coach, you know, and I was like, I need to set up contests for myself. I need some accountability. I need to do so. So I would call a friend in a different industry. Whoever makes the most styles by lunch, <laughs> the other guy buys them lunch. And we would just, you know, because,
0: <laughs> you know, make it fun, right? If you don't have support, make support.
1: Wow. Make your own support.
0: That's incredible, though. i have always hearing like what, uh, you watch The Last Dance with Michael Jordan yeah. and the enemies that he would create in his mind, this whole scenario that he would need in order to... Which is awesome, right? right? but it sounds like you were doing a little bit of that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the
1: competition is fun, right? You know, make it fun because no one wants to make their dials. And, and you kind of have to make it as if your life depend, this depends on it. I mean, it, sometimes it does. It does right? Yeah. yeah. And if you get to Friday afternoon, no one wants to do dials on Friday afternoon. So if you want to avoid that, what do you do? Front load your week. Do them earlier in the week. It's no magic. If you don't have them done, then you better be dialing on Saturday. Right. And down on Sunday, like make it. Right. So when you set your floors, I mean you can have stretch goals, but when you set your floors, make it every right. week. Wow. I mean, to me, that's the science of at least getting started.
0: What and I mean how how fitting, right? We call the science of business development. And you literally took that approach of of understanding the science behind it. What did you learn about yourself through that process as you would compare you know, your emotions in the beginning, like you said, the the, the grind is real and, and all those things that, you know, rejection that come into play. There's human element totally. to all of this. How did, yeah, from when you started, what did you notice about you? What did you learn about you?
1: I mean, I think there's no more accountable job than sales. I mean, I totally learned that. You know, like you said, I was director of sales and marketing. I had my MBA, you know, but then I'm nobody. I'm carrying a bag. No one. And then it, and it's kind of like the horseshoes and hand grenades things, right? Like- I almost closed the deal. No one cares. I mean, you have a number. hit your number. I don't care how you do it. Hit it. So I mean, i I you know, I've been very successful in my life. I mean, you can imagine I did very well. um but it was the first time I was kind of faced with failing, you know, for real,
0: like often,
1: yeah, I mean <laughs> in rejection the in rejection and rejection often, yeah, you know, because it was kind of like I'm like, wait, you know. I remember our CEO who was running sales at the time and who hired me, Bob Bernard, he was kind of like, you know, if you have three meetings a week, that's fine, or five, that's fine. And then I would get talk to these other sales guys I knew outside and I joined this sales group and uh, and they're like, dude, you have to have breakfast and lunch every day, that's 10 meetings. Three isn't enough. And I'm like, no, 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 three's plenty. But then I wasn't getting the results. (laughs) So then anxiety, builds right when when you know then we got a, a boss someone running sales and sitting down with me like hey your result you got to pick up the pace you know so i was in fear of being put on a you know a pip you know the dreaded pip yeah. performance improvement yeah. plan i never did but i was worried about it so it was kind that of motivated like you. that anxiety motivated me so i mean resilience you have to be resilient and i do think you've got to set some high goals if someone tells you three's enough well it's not enough unless you're closing the deals. You know, you got to figure that out. So I think, you know, I learned about being resilient, really being committed. And I think, like you said, you face a lot of rejection. But if you do set those numbers at the end of the day, you can go home and say, I made my numbers.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, so it's like if you hold that, even though if you didn't get a sale or you didn't get this, but you showed I made up. my numbers. Right. I showed up. You right. Know? It's kind of like, I don't know if you ever saw that. Um, was it a commencement speech where the guy talks about making your bed every morning? Yep, yep, the, the Navy Admiral. Yeah, yeah. 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 Which is, Actually, uh, I have
0: that book. So I think it's
1: just, great, though, right? Yeah, it's yeah. the same thing. Like, yep. you accomplish one thing. When you get home,
0: you get to get into a made bed. I feel that way about your sales numbers. Yeah. You I, hit no, them. Absolutely. And, and you know, on that, I've, I've heard, and one thing that helped me out was, um, it was a book that I read, but it was the individual, the author saying, that when he was motivating his sales team, what he was looking for and what he would have contests would be on the number of no's that you would get. Yeah. That if you're motivated to get no's and you don't, and that's, that's the goal that eventually the yeses will just happen as a consequence.
1: Well, that's interesting thing because all of us as salespeople, we get very comfortable with a big pipeline. Yeah. You look at the no, like, look at all these opportunities and look at that big sales number down here, but we never clear it out. Right. And it's garbage. And we know that, but we're comfortable because we want to keep it. So right. doing no's, it's like you have different contests. One might be adding things to your pipeline, but then it gets too full. So the next one has to be getting no's, get the shit out of your pipeline. Yep. And then you have a real view and you're like, oh, now I need to fill it up again. Yep. You know, So you go through these cycles and stages. And as a sales manager, you need to be able to assess your team. Like, Are people getting stuck at certain places? Like, they can get them in, but they can't close them. Right. You know, so then you can see, if you're really reviewing the pipeline, having those contests, like, let's add, let's do closes, let's do no's, and you're really working
0: a process that I think serves everyone. Absolutely. And on that, you know, one of the things that you'd mentioned, and and really, I I think it's the most imperative thing, is that sales is about service. Right? 100%. And, And it's how you serve people. And if, like you said, if you don't understand that you're going about it all wrong. And it's easy to get caught up in the competition of things. But, you know, as we're talking about all those tools that you use, your motivation is really serving people. Totally. It's
1: kind of the why. Why are you doing sales? You know, why are you in it? And I think if you miss that, and especially, you know, when I was, you get in that scarcity mode of I have a quota and I have to sell and I'm anxious and, (laughs) you know, and if, if you get caught up in that, you forget that you're sitting with another person. Right you know, and and do you care about that person, you know, and do you really want to help them? Because if I'm just here and I'm like, here's my product and here's my service and uh, do you want it? I mean, you're just going to be like, who are you? (laughs) I mean, everyone always says it, but I think it is true. People like to do business with people that they like and, of course, people they trust, you know, and and everyone wants to be a trusted advisor. But how do you become a trusted advisor? I mean you gotta ask some questions. You gotta get to know someone. You show genuine interest. Right. Right? I mean I always used to you know, you come in someone's office and you look around and and you look at the books they read and you say, Oh, I read I read that book, you know. You know, the you know, that's a great book and you look at the pictures on the wall and like, Oh, I've got two daughters, you know. Right, right. That's great. He's like, Oh, you went to, you know, Illinois, I went to University of Michigan you know, and you establish rapport and kinda of care about someone, right? And sometimes you might have a half hour meeting and you just are talking to the person, right? And the last minute, they might say, "Oh, yeah, hey, I, I do have this thing. You know, maybe you can help me," or you go out to lunch, and that's to me those were the great meetings. Like you get to know someone, and you, you have know? fun with
0: it. Totally, like less how, pressure. I how mean. could you not have fun getting to know someone, right? How how do you real? And um, I don't want to say younger in age, but just younger in experience. Sales people who only see the sale or only looking for the sale and are missing the opportunity to really connect with someone, how do you draw them back in so they become less concerned about the outcome and more concerned about the conversation?
1: We used to work on call plans, like even ahead of time, right? And part of that call plan in the beginning was, how are you going to establish rapport? So you had to almost plan it. You know, you could ask about the weather. I mean, but you know, you I think in this day and age of, you know, people don't pick up their phones, it's much harder. I mean, now with Zoom, at least maybe you can see someone. But being with someone, you had so many more cues that made it a little easier. So I think, you know, you have to do research. You have to get to know something about them, something about their company. And really, can you help them? Right. You know, and so I used to be a big name dropper and, and teach people, you know, learn about all of these clients and what we've done for them so you can talk about that to someone else. So you could say, hey, we worked with someone very similar to you. I'd love to talk to you and see if I can help you too.
0: Yeah,
1: You know, and that's a different conversation because, you know, here's a client. I can introduce you to them. They'd be happy to talk to you. And I think, you know, your, your issues or your opportunities seem to be the same. Yeah. You know, so how do you turn the table a little bit instead of I have a product I'm trying to sell you? No, I'm trying to help
0: you. Yeah. Do you find that with certain individuals? And, and, and being in sales, I mean, I don't care how you look at it. You're, you're, life is sales. Everyone's right? in sales. Everyone's in sales, right? I'm writing a book called Life is Sales, by the way. Oh, so, yeah, no, <laughs> that's very go. funny. <laughs> yeah, um, It's true, though. I mean, you're writing it for a reason, right?
1: I mean, I've got I've got a 25-year-old and a 23-year-old daughter, and, you know, I'm like, I've been selling them their whole lives on their potential, yeah. on what they can do, right, all the time. Absolutely. We're always selling. It doesn't have to be the sleazy car salesman you know, but we're always selling our ideas. You know, when I had employees, you know, I had, we had up to 400 employees, I think, before we sold Lions Consulting Group, I was selling them
0: on their potential and on their unique gifts and what we could do together. So how do you turn that into, like, the nature versus nurture conversation of someone's born with talent, sales, right? Like, versus someone (laughs) who, I'm not good at sales and, you know, it's, it's a real thing when, like you said, it's you're, you're, you're selling for your life, right? You're selling for your yeah. livelihood versus selling someone an idea where there's no, you know, well, who cares about an outcome? How, how do you... I think there's some differences because we had, you know, a distinction
1: as we matured more as an organization. We had, like, outside salespeople, inside salespeople, but we also had account managers. And our account managers are the ones that took an existing account... And would grow at a service relationship. And those account managers were amazing at relationships, but they would never want to make a cold call ever. Right. I mean, they just it just wasn't in them. Right. But they were so good at relationships, so good at handling conflict, any issue with a project, and, and I would rather not do that. Me personally, I don't want to handle problems. Right. I'd rather make a cold call. <laughs> you know, but so there is a, a you know, a nature... Part of it, where, playing in
0: your strengths.
1: Yeah, where you could put someone where they want to be, you know. And some of our inside salespeople sometimes they would go to account management, or sometimes they go outside. You know, so there's different ways that people grew, I guess, mm-hmm. and really decided what they liked. But I always thought it was great for someone to be not afraid of the phone, not afraid to pick it up, yeah, not afraid to call, not afraid. No one likes rejection, so it's not to say you like rejection, but be okay with it, not take it so personally. You know, some of our customer service people, you know, that's the hardest job. The people that get the calls from unhappy people, and that's it. Like, to me, that's hard, Yeah. right? And how do you not take that personally? So I think some of it is being a little thick-skinned. I mean, we would I would kind of train people on social-emotional intelligence. I think it's very, very important the awareness of self, you know, which helps with awareness of other people and empathy. And then you don't have to take it so personally. Like if I can put myself in your shoes and understand why you're upset, you're not really upset at me. Mm-hmm. You're just upset. Right, right, right. But if I go in your, instead of getting defensive, it's not my fault, I didn't do it. If I can be over there and say, you could lose your job. You know, your livelihood, your, your website's down. You know, I understand. And then I can say, I totally hear you. I'm going to check into it and I'm going to get back to you. And just listen. And not defend, it's not our fault. I didn't do it. It's not, you know, I hear you. I understand why you're upset. Let me check into it and I'll get back to you.
0: It's powerful stuff, though.
1: But to be able to teach someone, like, don't take it personally, just awareness, take a breath, you know, understand that person's feeling, fear, hurt, anger, sadness, joy,
0: and then just see them. Yeah. You know, which we all want that. Well, and it seems like in sales, too, that unlike other... You know, things in life and that no doesn't always mean no the first time, right? right. So it's not just the rejection isn't final. Right? We used to
1: have, a, we used to have the, you know, yes means yes, maybe means yes, and no means maybe. I mean, you kind of have to hold it that way, right? And And if you hold it that way, no has a ton of information. I mean, if you're not scared of it, right? No, there's more power actually because the those know. objections have information.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, and you kind of want that because right. it's worse when no one's when they're not giving you anything, and then you just lose. Right. I'd rather have the objections up front because then I can address them. Oh, understand that. Let me address that. You know, so no is just an opportunity to learn more, and it doesn't mean you always win, but at least you learn more.
0: Well, right? and, and there's a book, uh, "Never Split the Difference" by uh, Chris Voss. I think. Oh, I didn't read that one. Oh. Incredible. You should definitely read it. Yeah. One of the things is, uh, is that no is the beginning of negotiation. You can't begin a negotiation totally. before you get a no. If it's just yes, then no negotiating, right? Yeah. But that through that, it's the same thing. If you, st- if you try to push for a yes from the very beginning, it actually puts up people's defenses. Whereas right. if you allow them and, and, and literally craft questions that are no answers, that it gives someone a sense of empowerment. And the example that he used was someone calling you cold call, uh, do, you like, do you like water? <laughs> yeah. You know, so when you're leading into these these right. questions, you know you're about to be sold. Right, totally. But if you are able to answer no, that it's empowering. Now, from that standpoint, I guess, when you created Lions Consulting Group, was it always the idea of consulting for the sales, um, for sales purposes, so to, to co- so coach sales consultants?
1: No, I mean, we were actually an e-commerce digital agency. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we helped companies launch e-commerce websites. Yeah. You know, so that's what we are doing. And sales was just a, a very critical part of it, you know, because we needed to find customers. So right. we eventually became the number one implementer of what's now called Salesforce Commerce Cloud, but was called Demandware worldwide. We did forty percent of their implementations globally. Wow! Yeah, so we did very very cool brands. Like early on, we did GoPro oh, that's when they right. first that's came right. out, and Patagonia, True Religion, Hot Topic, you know, Ashley Furniture, Design Within Reach, and this is all the e-commerce, aspect all e-commerce, of all launching e-commerce websites for them.
0: Footjoy, Titleist, and how much of the the sales? Because I mean, here you are, you're well, all intents and purposes, you're a sales expert. And so in, right. in that regard, the e-commerce aspect is a digital form of selling. Totally. Where it's a platform. How much of what you, the human side of things did, did did that play into?
1: Well, we totally tried to bring that in. I mean, because one piece was the technology. Right. You know, you have to be able to add something to cart and yeah. check out and all of that, which is very important. But the other part is the customer journey and really the experience. You know, so that is the same thing we're talking about. Does Can that customer find what they're looking for? Can they check out easily? Can they get their questions answered? Is it a beautiful design that's aspirational for them? So they want to buy, you know, depending on what the brand is. Sure. So we definitely incorporated that in. And just to grow the company, we were a small company, you can imagine, you know, when we started. So we didn't have a big sales force. So then when you think about it, how can you partner? Like, you know, so partnerships, alliances became huge for us. Yeah. You know, and I... I developed these amazing partnerships. One was with Demandware, right? Where we you know, developed a relationship with them, they trusted us, we became a trusted partner. We then knew all, they had a lot more sales reps than we did, but they wanted to bring us in because we could help them close a deal. Mm. So these alliances are super important when, when you don't have the big sales force, but someone else does. And mm. we established alliances with other you know, firms as well, not just platforms, but think of a tax provider. Think of an email marketing provider. Think of a payment gateway. We had to put those in every e-commerce, you know, project we did. But they knew a lot about the market. So when we established inside salespeople, I was like, your job is to find about every deal in the market. Yeah. And how are you going and that's impossible, but that's your job. Wow. You know, and how are you gonna do that? Get to know all these partners. They have feelers out there that we will never have. And become friends with them, give them information, and they'll give you back. You always have to give to receive. Right. You know, it became a very, very important thing for us, and
0: those alliances were huge. One of the things, and <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things I'm hearing, and, and, and I, I think I've even taken it for granted though is people talk about creativity, and you always hear it in, in you know, music and art, and it's, that, that's the creativity, almost like it's limited to that. But everything you're saying is is you've taken this creative approach to create relationships, and each relationship is different, and it's requiring so you right. to think about how to work together in a creative way, and these are all ideas that you're just... I think
1: that's absolutely right. I mean, we used to t- even talk about coopetition. <laughs> Right, I mean because it's in a way. <laughs> yeah, totally because you know if you can keep in your swim lanes, it doesn't mean you can't work together. Right, I mean you could be competing. That's fine. We're competing, but in this deal we're going in together. Yep, you're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we keep in our lanes, and it's fine. Like one of my you know biggest competitors over the years, you know I had my firm for 14 years, um, is a great friend of mine. That's awesome. I'm going to his wedding in in August. I mean, a great friend. And people couldn't figure out, like, how are you guys friends? Why wouldn't we be friends? Right? There's plenty of business out there for everyone. So much. We don't have to create enemies.
0: And I you mean, create opportunities, right? Oh, that's the and, thing about...
1: And I like him. We're in the same business. We have so much in common.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Now, um, it's also worth noting, though, that uh, you, you sold your company four yeah. years ago, right? Yeah. Tell me about that. What was the motivation behind it? Yeah, I mean, it,
1: uh, and I always, you know, we grew the business. I loved the business. I loved our culture, you know, which is amazing. Uh, and it was a, a customer-first culture, a sales culture, right? We always thought about the customer. We always talked about putting the customer first, which was amazing, right? And I always told everyone I'm never going to sell. Totally. <laughs> I mean, every all the time. And I never did plan on selling. I wasn't like the entrepreneur that was... You know, start a firm, strategy, flip it, yeah, flip it, yeah, flip yeah. it. I didn't have an exit strategy, but the, the market changed. Mm. So a lot of things happened. Like Demandware got bought by Salesforce. You know, Magento got bought by Adobe. Mm. Hybris got bought, you know, by SAP. So the, the platforms we were doing got bought by huge companies. Yeah. And then those huge companies basically said to us, hey, if you don't get bigger, <laughs> you're going away. Right. And I was like, you know, can I swear on this podcast. I was kind of like, why don't you fuck off? Like, cause I was like, I grew with you. Like I was always there for you. I'm your best partner. I'm 40%. There's this other 60%. Give that to the bigs. Why do you got to mess with my business? They're like, well, think about it. You know, one of the big companies does $1 billion in services revenue for Salesforce. 1 billion. My company was just over 50 million. So all of a sudden they're like, you don't matter to us. <laughs> you know, so wow. I mean you know, so I you know, at that point when you think I spent fourteen years of my life putting everything in this, you know.
0: To see it go Writing away. checks,
1: yeah. you know, mortgaging the house in the early days, everything. Right. And so I couldn't see it go away. Yeah. And I'm supporting all these people.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, four hundred people and their families and I love them all. You know, so at that point it was a tough decision. So I started changing the message, yeah. you know, that the market's changing, we're gonna start looking at Either, either partnering or or uh, selling you know so we changed the narrative but um, it was the right thing to do given what was happening
0: then. absolutely no and, and going back to your belief in sales to begin with I think it touches on your why which is serving people and yeah. you saw yourself not only as a servant in in the in the the services you provided to your clients but service to people that works for you as well and it, yeah
1: I mean I'm kind of loyal to a fault but I but you know when you grow a company it is kind of like your baby and we were all family and one of my favorite things we would do a I uh, i know we're off the topic of sales but we would do a, a holiday brunch every year, and all the kids would come. That's awesome. And we would buy every kid a, a gift. Wow. You know, we'd spend like $20. But Still, it was huge for them. The, kids, the kids looked forward to the Lions Consulting Group brunch every of year. Course. It was part of their Christmas. That's awesome. And I just loved it, and it was my chance to say thank you. Absolutely. You know, to the spouses and the kids because we worked hard. Like, you know, there's not always balance. Think about e-commerce. You know, during, you know, peak season, during, you know, uh, Black Friday, it, it, Cyber it, it. Monday, like you're you're on. Yeah. If a site goes down, people would stay up, you know, two days in a row trying to fix it. So that's not balanced. Yeah. But we tried to say we work hard. We play hard.
0: That's awesome. You
1: yeah. know, and have yeah. fun that way.
0: Good for you. Now, so now what's the the future hold for you? What's the vision? Yeah, I mean, I I separated uh,
1: about six months ago, so I've been doing some uh, advisory work. I'm I'm on some advisory boards, which is great fun, you know, working with entrepreneurs and young companies, coaching people on sales. You know, it's really fun to work with people that are hungry, yeah, and really want something, like these young entrepreneurs. If I can help them not make the same mistakes I made, you know, they'll make their own mistakes, of course, but it's really fun to work with people that want something. You know, yeah. so I've been doing that. I'm. You know, I mentioned I'm I'm writing a book called Life of Sales. You know, kind of about my story that we're talking about. Yeah. Um, and then I'm also uh, with the Wright Foundation and the Wright Graduate University. We started an MBA program. Wow. So we're calling it the uh, Lion School of Transformational Business. It's already accredited. You know, we have a few students already. So a lot of exciting things in the future.
0: That's awesome. Well, thank you coming in. Not only thank you. It story. was a pleasure.